0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. Joining me tonight, as always, is Mike McDaniel, who just got back from a an unnecessarily long road trip to Blacksburg to see his Hokies take on East Carolina. Mike, I'm glad you made it back in one piece.
1: Yeah, it took an absurd amount of time to get home from Blacksburg, but it worked out okay. Hokies got a great win this weekend over East Carolina and everybody's like oh come on it's East Carolina how can it be a great win it's a great win because for the second straight week they scored more than 49 points they even broke into 50s so really nice to see an actual offense in Blacksburg so it was pretty good win a fun weekend.
0: Justin Fuente's boys looking good so far we'll get into that here in a little bit. Uh, I myself sat around here at Mission Control this weekend catching up on, uh, on some various games that We'll talk about here as we, as we go through here. So, Mike, I want to start this week talking about uh, my own team, and that is kind of hard to believe because my own team did not really give me a whole lot that uh, made me want to talk about them. That was the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets hosting the Clemson Tigers Thursday night on ESPN for the world to see how Clemson's defense could dominate Georgia Tech's offense.
1: Yeah, so you don't see, you know, Clemson doesn't see Georgia Tech that often. Um, ended up not mattering because Georgia Tech's offense was abysmal. Is that how we want to characterize it? I mean, it was pretty awful um, throughout the entirety of the first half. Got a little bit better in the second half, but by then um, Clemson had already gone up three touchdowns, so tough to climb back in when you're running the option, obviously. But the one takeaway from the game, if I'm a Georgia Tech fan, is we held Clemson in check for as long as we could, right? So defense looked pretty solid throughout the game, and then it was just a matter of honestly getting tired, I think. And Deshaun Watson, it was a nice bounce-back game. Um, You know, Joey, you and I were discussing before we hit the record button how he did miss some deep throws in this one, but the short-to-intermediate stuff that he was missing in the first couple games of the season, it looks like he's gotten that back in check. Uh, Looked a lot more in control of the offense there Uh, for Clemson. Ended up working out. Defense played really well and ended up leading to a big win for Clemson on the road to Georgia Tech to uh, get the ACC season on track for them. So a uh, good win for the Tigers. Not a great showing initially there for Georgia Tech.
0: Yeah, that that was kind of the one positive for me was that the defense tightened up pretty nicely. Um, on the first three drives, Clemson went touchdown, missed field goal, touchdown. And so they were up 14-0. Uh, let me double check this. I think this was in the first quarter. Um, yeah, first quarter, they were up 14-0, uh, and Georgia Tech's offense could not stay on the field in the first half.
1: Um, Nothing going.
0: First half, Georgia Tech's offense goes three plays minus six yards, three plays minus seven yards, five plays 22 yards, six plays five yards, three plays four yards, one play 15 yards. And the, the thing that was flying around Twitter at halftime was that Clemson had as many first downs and or points as Georgia Tech had yards. Um, so it was it was bad, um, but ultimately, I mean, the defense held okay. Um, got a few stops. They were down twenty-three, nothing at halftime, and Clemson only scored three in the second half. Um, they went punt, 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 field goal, punt, end of the game. So, um, yeah, it was it was really irritating that first drive. Watching the defense just giving what I mean. 10-yard cushions to the likes of Mike Williams and Artavis Scott, and you can just imagine how that ended. Um, that was really frustrating to see, but eventually, yeah, they started getting a little bit of pressure on Deshaun Watson, and uh, I think his throwing suffered for it. But other than that, I mean, there was not a whole lot to speak of that happened well for Georgia Tech on Thursday night. Clemson, on the other hand, especially defensively, man, they are nasty. And they, they look it's, – it's crazy because I thought about this. You know, we go back to 2014 – their defense was excellent. Like, one of the very best in the country. I think, like, a top-five defense. Absolutely. They lost, like, seven guys to the NFL. They come back in 2015, and they're, like, every bit as good. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. And then, again, from last year to this year, they lose a whole bunch of guys. And now they're just as good again. I mean, like, what, what they're doing, recruiting that side of the ball and coaching that side of the ball of Brent Venables is is nothing short of amazing. So, all, all the credit to Clemson for making Georgia Tech look terrible in that game.
1: Yeah, I mean, I thought, I mean, everything you just said there, I thought Clemson, the pass rush when Justin Thomas was basically in the second half when, you know, they're selling out on the pass, right, because Georgia Tech's down three touchdowns, and you just see Justin Thomas sprinting backwards. I mean, he had no time to throw. Uh, The pass rushers just overwhelmed the Georgia Tech offensive line, and that Georgia Tech offensive line isn't necessarily made for pass protection anyway and it was a situation there where you have these Clemson pass rushers who are just much bigger, more physical than Georgia Tech offensive line from a pass protection standpoint. So, you know, the pressure they got on Justin Thomas in the second half ended up, you know, being the difference in the game, even though I thought Georgia Tech got the ball moving a little bit better um, in the in third and fourth quarter. But, you know, by then Clemson's selling out on pass, and you can hit a couple big plays if you're able to get the ball out quickly. So, you know, Georgia Tech, to their credit, had some fight in the second half, but by then – game was already well in hand, and as far as Clemson's concerned on the defensive side of the ball as well, um, in Georgia Tech's rushing attack, I I thought Clemson did a really nice job on the option keys, Um, you know, the quarterback read, the running back read, and then of course the the B back or the A back read as well, Um, it just seemed like Clemson's defensive line and linebackers had every run fill covered, and Georgia Tech had a lot of trouble getting anything going on the option, especially in the first half you just saw Clemson just playing smart football on the defensive side of the ball from start to finish. And I think that was a big reason why they didn't play or they ended up playing as well as they did. And Georgia Tech's offensive line, I thought they were whiffing on a bunch of blocks as well, and that never helps either. So it was a, it was a combination of things. But I think ultimately what you have here is a Clemson defense, especially in the front seven, that was just much more physical than Georgia Tech's offensive line. And that was apparent from you know, the first and, first and second quarter and then on into the second half, even when Georgia Tech was trying to mount a furious comeback, but obviously um, obviously fell short when you have the athletes that Clemson has on both sides of the ball. So, you know, I, th- I think it was a little bit of both, but I think Clemson just kind of overwhelmed, overwhelmed Georgia Tech's offensive line there with their physicality and all the athletes they have on the defensive side of the ball.
0: They sure did. I mean, this was statistically like the worst output of the entire Paul Johnson era at Georgia Tech. That's not good to see when you've got a, a highly talented senior quarterback like Justin Thomas and uh, a whole bunch of skill guys coming back from last year that should be improved. Um, I, I do want to point out that Justin Thomas's final passing line, 4 of 13, I, I'm going to stick to my guns here and continue saying that I, I think that Justin Thomas gets a terrible rap for his passing line, given that I would, I would bet you that at least, like, Five of his nine incompletions, if not more like six or seven, were passes that he threw away. Um, He's just not really getting a whole lot of help from his offensive line at times or from his receivers. There were a couple passes that hit people in the hands and were dropped. Um, So Justin Thomas is a much better passer than he gets credit for. But ultimately, um, only 95 yards on the ground for Georgia Tech, 29 through the air. I mean, that that is a terrible, terrible offensive output, and all the credit to Clemson for playing them extremely well. Uh, the Tigers moving forward, I mean, they, they look pretty good. They got a big test this weekend against uh, Louisville. We'll talk about that here in a little while. Uh, but Georgia Tech, really curious to see how they bounce back this weekend against Miami, something we will also talk about a little later. Uh, Mike, any more thoughts on this game before we move on? No, I think I'm good. All right. So let's move on to the next game. We're going to talk about North Carolina and Pittsburgh here. Uh, North Carolina – comes back at the very end of the game. They score with, like, five seconds left in the game, score a touchdown on a touchdown pass to Bug Howard. They win the game 37-36 in exciting fashion, a game that Pitt had control of for a while, but then UNC found their way to, you know, claw back into it. And, Mike, I want to play a little game with you here. Um, I I want you to tell me how North Carolina clawed their way back into this game. Was it, A, a devastating rushing attack, B, a very gutsy defensive output. Or C, attacking the pit secondary by throwing the ball down the field. Let's go with C, Joey. That seems like a responsible, r- responsible choice here. Uh, we're, again, we're noticing a theme here that Pittsburgh is really struggling to defend the pass. And you saw that once again on Saturday, Mike. Really bad. They have a really poor secondary. And the one thing about this game,
1: North Carolina led for two seconds. In this entire game and it was the two seconds that mattered most the final two seconds Um, offensively Mitch Trubisky just decided especially in the fourth quarter when they were mounting that comeback against Pittsburgh it's like okay well the Pitt secondary hasn't really had much for me all day you know Elijah Hood it's been real it's been fun we're just gonna throw the ball here and I just realized they can't cover Ryan Switzer so Switzer goes off has a huge game for North Carolina obviously um, in the victory, uh, counting 16 receptions for 208 yards and a touchdown. Guy's an animal. Um, excellent in the slot. Really good player. He was unreal. Um, yeah, he was unreal, and, and we, we knew that he was obviously good in the return game, you know, the first couple of years that he was on campus here in Chapel Hill, but in the last two years, he's really developed into a key cog in the offense, uh, more so than he was in the years prior, so it's really nice to see him develop from, from the start of his career to where he is now as a senior, He's a guy that's going to make an excellent pro just because of how tough he is running across the middle and making the catches he makes, and then the athleticism and the ability to make people miss after the catch. That was really apparent in this game, um, as we've seen in the past. So, North Carolina, very good win, huge comeback. Pitt fans have to be sick with how um, the fourth quarter went, because it looked pretty good with five and a half minutes to go, but all of a sudden, Pitt stopped getting first downs. North Carolina's defense was getting off the field like you know we've questioned in the past can they get off the field can can their run defense make enough stops especially against this pit offense it was something we were talking about last week and they made the stops in the fourth quarter when they had to and it's a really really good win for larry fedora's team and um, obviously a launching off point here for the rest of the season because the schedule does not get any easier moving
0: forward mitch trubisky in particular was pretty incredible in this game as well uh, his final set line 35 of 46 and that's 76 percent completion And maybe what's even more crazy about that is that out of four games, that's only his third best performance completion percentage-wise. 79% against Illinois and 89% against James Madison. He is really doing a nice job of putting the ball where it needs to be. Uh, 453 yards and five touchdowns, no picks. Um, That's a great day for Mitch Trubisky, regardless of who he's playing. Um, There's a number here that stands out to me, Mike. It is 7.0 you have any idea what the number seven might represent here? You're never going to figure um, this out, so let me just tell you.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, it could literally mean anything, you know?
0: <laughs> seven is the number of yards short of a thousand that Pitt's opponents are in the last two weeks passing. Oklahoma. You're right. I
1: would, I would never have, I would never have guessed that. But it makes all the sense in the world.
0: Oklahoma State and North Carolina have passed for a combined 993 yards in the last two weeks against Pitt's defense. That's they've got to get that figured out because that is just not going to work. Um, Pitt is going to continue to lose games if they can't figure out this, this, this secondary. Man, this is a problem.
1: Yeah, I mean, we talked about all the athletes they had in the back end of the secondary. Jordan Whitehead, where has he been? Um, It's been a really slow start to the season for the Pitt secondary. They need to pick it up here because we're now a third of the way through the season, and it's pretty obvious that they can't cover anybody. Um, And and Oklahoma State and North Carolina, to their credit, I mean they're two of the better passing offenses in the entire country. But when you have a defense that's being hyped up um, as much as Pitt's defense has over the last couple seasons with Pat Narduzzi now at the helm, I mean, you got to do better than they've done the last couple of weeks, and the fact that they've gone almost a thousand—they've given up almost a thousand yards passing over the last two weeks. I mean, you just can't have that happen, and you have to find a way to get off the field. And that was an issue for Pitt, especially in the fourth quarter. They seem to get tired. The offense didn't help them out, of course, by not converting a lot of first downs there late. You know, it's just something that Pitt's going to have to clean up here moving forward. It's a huge issue, though, um, because Pitt's offense is as explosive as it's been—or um, as we've seen it especially in the last three or four years. I mean, they always had James Conner up until last year, obviously, and now they get him back. He's running as hard and as well as he ever has. And the Pittsburgh defense now is slacking, and that was supposed to be the stronger point of the team. So now you have an offense that is essentially exploding based off of the production they've had in the past. And now you have a defense that's oddly giving up more points than we've ever seen, especially out of a Pat Narduzzi defense that was as good as it was at Michigan State. And now the last two seasons at Pittsburgh, They get all the hype after year one, and then they struggle this year. It's just really difficult to watch because this Pitt team has so much potential. Nate Peterman's taking the next step. they got a great rushing attack, a pretty solid group of receivers despite losing Tyler Boyd to the NFL. And now their defense is is the unit that's struggling despite having all the playmakers they have in the secondary and the guys that they were returning up in the front seven. So it's something Pitt's going to have to figure out here in a hurry, and that was a very tough loss on Saturday. They're going to have to regroup and bounce back from it this week.
0: And I think what's strange about that, you talk about the offense getting a lot better, defense getting nowhere near as good, uh, you know, of what we expected, is a lot of times when you see that, it's related to things like a North Carolina situation where offenses start playing with a lot of tempo and defenses get tired and they get, you know, out on the field for a lot of plays type of thing. That's not the case here at all. I mean, Pittsburgh's offense is not a very tempo offense. Um, they're they're putting up about six yards of play, too, over their last three games. I mean, they're, they're explosive and they look good. It's just a matter of... Um, they they kind of can't get the whole thing working at the same time, and the other thing I can't get out of my mind here is that Pitt is like a couple of bad Trace McSorley decisions at the end of the Penn State game away from being one and three. Good old Trace, man. I mean that's that's what we're talking about here is that Pitt is is lucky to not be one and three. So uh, that is a that's a tough start here uh, for the for the Panthers. Hopefully they can pull out of a tailspin because I pick them as my coastal champion and i need them to uh i need them to put it together here
1: yeah i did not i'm feeling really good about that right now just because of how bad the defense has been but when looking at how they could uh move forward from this rest of the season i think they just need to get a little bit better on the pass rush um you know the run defense has been okay but the pass rush they haven't gotten home as much as we've seen especially last year I think they need to do that here over the next few weeks to bounce back in that secondary because the secondary can only cover some of the more talented receivers in the ACC for so long, especially when looking at who North Carolina has coming up here. they got a lot of good receivers they're going to be facing from here on in. So I think it starts at the front seven and it builds from there. And, you know, for Pittsburgh, they got to get home a little bit more um, on the blitzes that they, that they show. And hopefully um, that will lead to some better play out of the secondary, but it just has not looked very good so far.
0: Carolina thirty-seven, Pitt thirty-six. Tarleels complete the comeback. We'll see if Carolina can keep it up. They got tough tests coming up this weekend as well. Um, but more on that later. All right, Mike. We we need to move on here, and um, I've I've got a question for you, and I I honestly I don't know the answer to it, and I'm hoping that you can shed like any light on it. What the hell is going on in South Bend? What what is Notre Dame doing right now? Well.
1: It starts with a guy that they just fired about, I'd say, uh, within the ballpark of nine months too late. Um, (laughs) Brian Van Gorder. Notre Dame has been one of the worst defenses in college football over the last, I don't know, since last November. Um, They've struggled against the pass. They've struggled against the run. It's getting to the issue here. Um, it, or it's getting to the point here with Notre Dame's defense that it doesn't matter who they're playing; they're going to score a lot of points against them. Notre Dame has given up thirty-three and a half points per game this year. They've played the That's likes way of too Duke. Much. It, it's 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 not good. I mean, they, they played Texas, an offense that had a freshman quarterback. They lost. They played Duke this past weekend, an offense that had a freshman quarterback. They lost. Michigan State had Tyler O'Connor, a game manager or quarterback. They lost. Notre Dame has nothing going for them. Their other win is—I mean, their only win of the season is Nevada. So Notre Dame is in a bad way. I don't want to attribute it all to the injuries they've had. I mean, Devin Butler gets injured and then gets suspended because of off-season issues. They lose Max Redfield in the secondary as well because he gets in trouble for off-the-field issues. Notre Dame's just got a lot of problems right now. They need to—it's personnel and it's coaching. I think. Brian Kelly made a really positive step in firing Brian Van Gorder, but I think the ego of Brian Kelly got in the way of him not making this decision sooner. Um, I think that Brian Van Gorder is a guy who, if you saw the last three or four games for Notre Dame last year, they're really struggling, especially the game in the end of the season against Stanford. Kevin Hogan, Christian McCaffrey, that offense exploded in that game against Notre Dame. It was a game that the Irish had to have if they wanted to get into the college football playoff. And it's, you know, for Notre Dame that's kind of where it all started for me and heading into the season giving up 50 in the opener to Texas with a freshman and then having it just go on from there is a huge issue I'm glad Brian uh, Brian Kelly made the move to fire Van Gorder but a few weeks too late in my opinion Notre Dame's season was already done after the loss to Michigan State but it's now really done after a loss to Duke and you know, the boosters, the alumni, all the donors were getting pretty uneasy. They, you know, the whole stadium was chanting Fire Van Gorder after the game, and the issues obviously run deeper than that with the personnel problems they've had, especially in the secondary, but there's no excuses when you have the athletes that Notre Dame has on both sides of the football to not be better. And, and one more thing here, Joey, Brian Kelly after the game against Duke said that he was going to value, uh, evaluate all 22 positions, and that included quarterback, and that was not out of the question That sophomore quarterback Brandon Wimbush would play at some point this season. What does that feel
0: like? A bad decision.
1: And if you're yeah, and if you're Deshaun Kaiser and Kaiser threw threw a pick on on what looked like a throwaway pass uh, late in the game against Duke, but that shouldn't have cost Notre Dame the game the way that it did. I mean, Duke got the ball at midfield and they went they went forty seven yards in two and a half minutes and scored the go and you know kicked the field goal to go ahead. I mean. They're having all sorts of issues, but I'll tell you what, Deshaun Kaiser is not one of those issues, and Brian Brian Kelly's refusal to play him in the opener from start to finish kind of shows that he's a little bit arrogant and doesn't want to necessarily he, he wants to go against the grain and ne- not necessarily go with what's working. And, you know, we, we've talked about Larry Fedora and him doing that with North Carolina sometimes, you know, going with what he wants to do rather than what's working, you know, not giving the ball to Elijah Hood enough. Notre Dame seems to do a little bit of that with Deshaun Kaiser and Kaiser threw for 370 yards in the in the game against Duke. I mean, he's not the problem, and it's pretty clear that he's going to be a first-round pick. He's he's climbing up all the draft boards, and if I'm Deshaun Kaiser, I'm leaving anyway because Notre Dame's a dumpster fire on both sides of the ball right now. He can he can leave, go to the NFL. The defense will struggle next year, and they won't have a quarterback because we you know all signs are pointing to Malik Zaire transferring as well. So. He could leave Notre Dame in a a really tough spot, and Brian Kelly needs to be really careful with how he handles his team the rest of the year.
0: Notre Dame in their three losses so far to Texas, Michigan State, and Duke. It's given up over 500 yards a game and over 6.3 yards per play on defense. That's not not getting it done. Meanwhile, on offense, they put up over 400 yards in every game, and against Duke in particular, they threw for 381 yards. I mean, that should be theoretically enough. Like you're saying, I mean – Deshaun Kaiser's not the problem here. Uh, The problem seems to be elsewhere, and to kind of misplace that feels really unfair to Deshaun. But, um, yeah, Duke Duke wins this game in South Bend 38-35. I mean, this is – that is so shocking. Like, before the week, Duke was like a three-touchdown underdog going into South Bend, and uh, just kind of what that Notre Dame program has become in less than 10 months is kind of shocking here, Mike.
1: You know, it's it's funny because if you're looking at it from a Duke standpoint, okay, Notre Dame's now lost their third game of the year. But even then, this is one of the biggest wins in Duke history for their football program. Um, going into South Bend, Notre Dame has all the tradition behind them, and, and I understand this is now their third loss of the year, and Notre Dame doesn't look like a very good football team. So maybe this win isn't, you know, necessarily as big. You know, when you look at the rest of the season, if Notre Dame continues to struggle, but. For Duke, this is a gigantic win. Um, being able to uh, pull back even at 2-2 two and, two and, and and you know really move forward, it's a, it's a big shooting off point for David Cutcliffe in the football program, and that's something that he addressed after the game, saying that this is something they can now recruit to, that they can go in the South Bend, they can beat a Notre Dame, a team that's been in the college football playoff conversation each year the last three seasons. Um, and, and this is a big win for David Cutcliffe and his squad, and, and a team that was really struggling, and... Now you have all the confidence in the world in Daniel Jones, at quarterback. The freshman's played pretty well this year anyway. Um, We've seen him struggle at times, but, you know, overall, his performance as a true freshman coming in and playing the way he has, stepping in uh, for Thomas Sirk after he blew out his Achilles. I'll tell you what, man, they found a quarterback here in Daniel Jones. They got a good thing going with that offense right now. And Jones can use this as a jumping-off point here for the rest of his career, saying, I went in the South Bend – as a three touchdown underdog and beat Notre Dame and played extremely well doing it. So big win for Duke. And this is just the beginning of what looks like a monumental collapse for Notre Dame.
0: Hey, building the whole career on one, the legend of one game worked for Trevor Knight so far. Um, he beat Alabama. That's about it. A-O. Um, that was, that was it in a nutshell. Yeah. Uh, Duke's putting up a lot of yards, like you said, I mean, they're, they're doing well on offense. Ultimately again, just 498 yards against Notre Dame. Um, overall averaging upwards of 400 yards a game easily. Uh, the problem is that their yards per play on the season is only about five and a half, so they're not being very efficient. Uh, that, that number would put them around 80th in the country, so uh, there's still work to be done there, but certainly things not stalling out kind of like we thought they might for Duke. Uh, but big win for the Irish there in South Bend. And one more thing, Joey, like neither of us were high on Duke coming into the year, and we can
1: now argue that with a win against Notre Dame, they've probably already exceeded my preseason expectations for them. I mean, nobody really – I mean, 21-point underdog, uh, that spread there kind of says it all um, at where Notre Dame is at, even though Notre Dame came in with two losses versus where everybody thought Duke was at. And for them to come in and win like they did um, just kind of underscores the fact that you know, Duke's already kind of exceeded expectations from our, from our preseason predictions, even if they don't necessarily have the best record um, moving throughout the rest of the year.
0: Just as I thought, I could pencil in a win for the Duke game for Georgia Tech. I'm having to pull my pencil back from the paper a little bit, and uh, we'll we'll have to see kind of what Duke, if Duke can build on this going forward, that's a huge deal for them Uh, because this this could be kind of like a season-changing win ultimately uh, if if they do ultimately turn it around. But Mike, we need to talk about a a game, and this is going to sound very very similar to last week where. Last week we talked about Miami going to Appalachian State, right? And this was kind of upset potential. App State is a better team than a lot of people realize. they got to go on the road for it. Kind of a weird environment. This is that team's, you know, quote-unquote Super Bowl. Everyone's hyped up for it. This is great. And Miami got to boot North Carolina, and they ran circles around App State. Um, they, yep. they just punched them in the mouth from the beginning and took off and won. It's the same old story this week as the Florida State Seminoles walked into a total trap game, supposedly, although maybe a a previous loss to Louisville helped kind of calm the nerves there. Uh, The Seminoles walk in to play South Florida in Tampa in what was thought to be a little bit of a hornet's nest, but uh, ultimately, I think there were two touchdowns in the first five plays of the game, so it was 7-7 immediately, and then it was like 14-14 within the first five minutes of the game, so it was just big play after big play to start off. And Florida State really took off from there and had a big day to kind of get right uh, in in the midst of a big old 55-35 win over the Bulls, Mike. Welcome back, Dalvin Cook. We've missed you.
1: Cook goes for 267 and two touchdowns. And we've kind of been waiting. Yeah, he's still good. Florida State, still really good. Um, You know, you and I said that, you know, there would be a little bit of overreaction after the loss to Louisville. And... I think a lot of people were hyping up South Florida, and you and I both talked about last week, and it was your pick, that Florida State would go ahead and cover the spread in that game, I, and I forget what the number was. I think it was down to five was at like, one point. It was
0: inside of a touchdown.
1: Yeah, it was inside of a touchdown, um, and, and when looking at Florida State, they have athletes all over the field. Um, they're really strong in their secondary, really good front seven, offense is still really good. They just had a couple turnovers and some costly penalties there against Louisville, and the game got out of hand pretty quickly, but Florida State was right in that game for most of the first half, and then a couple mistakes, and Louisville just took advantage like really good teams do. There was no questioning that Florida State was still a really good football team, despite getting their doors blown off of them against Louisville there on the road. And they showed what they can do when they're firing at full throttle, especially in the rushing game, and getting Dalvin Cook going was huge in this game. It ended up opening up uh, things for DeAndre Francois, who had a Pretty efficient performance, despite not throwing the football um, that often. Ended up throwing for 170 and touchdown, but you know it was a game in which Francois looked a little bit more under control. I thought they were able to protect him a little bit better, and you know Dalvin Cook's the real story here, and him rushing for 200, nearly 270 yards. It's just good to see that he's healthy because I think that was one of the questions kind of. Being rumored um, prior to this game, it was like, okay, where's Dalvin Cook been all year? He's just kind of quietly been okay, but he hasn't been nearly the Dalvin Cook that we've been expecting. So, a really good win for Florida State, putting up 55, scoring a ton of points is exactly what they needed to do after a tough offensive output a couple of weeks ago there against Louisville. So that was a really good win for Florida State.
0: Yeah, Dalvin Cook, a couple of long runs early. Um, he he does he did look a lot better in this game. Uh, which, which is a really good sign for, for Florida State as well as just for college football in general. Uh, maybe not the teams on Florida State's schedule, but uh, certainly for the Seminoles and for people who like watching good players, he, he was really good on Saturday. Like you mentioned, uh, 28 carries for 267 and two touchdowns. That's, that's real good.
1: Career high, by the way. I, I didn't realize that. Career
0: high for him and in a good career at that um so that's Very that's a good. Yep. big day for him Jacquez Patrick added 20 carries for 124 yards and a touchdown he's also really good he pretty good too um yeah so this is a, I thought it was amazing because if you look at it Florida State ran let me see what was it it was 82 plays in this game for almost almost eight yards per play Um, so they, I mean, they were just busting off big plays left and right. They, they definitely looked better and they quieted a lot of those folks that said this was going to be a a trap, dangerous game for them and and not to, to discredit USF because that is still really a a good football team. They put up almost 300 yards of rushing on Florida state's defense. Um, and and they are going to be really good this year. They might be 11 and one when they go theoretically play Houston in the AAC championship, um, but, yeah, just it was really a good day for Florida State not a moment too soon. Uh, they've got a couple of big games here coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, so that was really really good to see for Florida State, and they should be back in rhythm moving forward, you would think. Any, anything else in this game, Mike? No, I'm, I'm good. That's just a really – I mean,
1: I can't emphasize that enough. That's a really good win for Florida State because South Florida, like you said, is, is still a good football team, and they, they could definitely, with their schedule, be 11-1 and by the time they play a very, very good Houston team there at the end of the year.
0: Well, and what I look at, too, is not only, I mean, they, they kind of got control early in the game, and they, they just never looked back. Um, it was yeah. it was a dominant win.
1: Yeah, the, fir- the first couple of drives there, especially. I mean, Dalvin Cook kind of exploding off the page the way he did. It's like, oh, okay, he's not injured. <laughs> Still good. Um, so, yeah, no, really good win, and, and a really good start to the game, which is what they need because they were pretty slow to start there against Louisville.
0: No doubt. Let's talk about your Hokies, Mike. As you said earlier, a big old fifty-four seventeen win over ECU. This is now as we as we said before, we gotta keep in mind that this is ECU and they their defense is not the eighty five Bears. Very bad. But at the same time I mean at the same time, like it's been a while since we've seen a Virginia Tech offense that's able to put up fifty-four points. And I think as as you see this offense continue to develop and continue to put up more and more points every week, combine that with a Bud Foster defense and Virginia Tech is cooking with gas here. I mean, they, they could very well contend to win the Coastal uh, by, the, by the end of the season here. So not only the defense, not,
1: not only the offense, it was the special teams that really got things going early. So East Carolina goes three and out on their opening drive, and before most people are in their seats, Greg Stroman, who I've bagged on multiple times in the secondary for Virginia Tech, gets back as a punt returner and catches the ball at the 13-yard line and takes it back 87 yards to the house. He made one cut, and he ran right up the middle of the field. And that got Tech rolling. Um, Tech would later block a field goal. They blocked a punt. They also um, they were also able to sack Philip Nelson in the end zone for a safety later in the game. It, Tech went up 38-0 in the first half. Um, and, and by the time East Carolina could recover with a long touchdown to start the second half, the game was already over, and it was 54-17. Gerard Evans continues to impress. He, he leads the ACC in touchdown passes, came into the game with 10, added three more on Saturday, went 13 of 20 for 282 and three touchdowns, averaged 14 yards completion. I'd take that. Pretty solid. Um, running the ball, he had 10 carries for 97 yards, including a, a 55-yard touchdown run that ended up in the top plays on SportsCenter. He ran all over the field and then got down – by the goal line when he was clearly exhausted and juked three more as he tumbled into the end zone.
0: That run Uh, was awesome.
1: The kid kid is unbelievable. Um, It it was a great get, because Virginia Tech historically, we've talked about this as well, Joey, has not, especially under Frank Beamer for the last, whatever it was, nearly 30 years, didn't really take on a whole lot of junior college transfers. And this was kind of a, a change in philosophy here. And one of the big elements Justin Fuente brought to the table was the fact that he was going to bring in some junior college guys. And as soon as he did that, Gerard Evans burst onto the scene, and he's been spectacular here in the early going for Virginia Tech the first four games. So he was great. Isaiah Ford, he does nothing but catch four passes for 117 and a touchdown. Um, He nearly threw a touchdown pass on a reverse in the first half, um, a reverse pass, but he didn't set his feet and overthrew, I believe it was Cam Phillips in the end zone, had him wide open. But then all he did was recover from it on the very next play and go up over the East Carolina defender and completely moss him So right right in front of me, which was great being in attendance for. So as a Virginia Tech fan, trying to enjoy Isaiah Ford while he's still here because he's without a doubt, at least if he keeps playing like he is, he's probably going pretty high in the NFL draft. He's cementing himself at least in the first two rounds. and. The way he's playing right now, I could see him going as a first round pick depending on which teams need a wide receiver because he's been as good as anybody in the country and he still remains as the best receiver in the ACC by my estimation. So he's been unbelievable. And so it was just, it was a good win all around for Virginia Tech. Their defense is just absolutely suffocating. They gave up a couple of big plays when the game was, you know, well in hand there in the third quarter, but for the most part, I mean, they held East Carolina in check. Phillip Nelson for East Carolina ended up throwing for 362 yards and two touchdowns, but, you know, most of them were off of the two catches by Jimmy Williams, uh, the two touchdown catches he had. He had three catches for 179 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, they were just two long pass plays that, you know, Virginia Tech kind of had messed up coverage in the secondary, a couple blown blown coverages there, and some miscommunication in the back end, which of course they'll have to clean up, but by then the game was already well in hand, so it was a really satisfying win for Virginia Tech, and to score 54 points a week after scoring 49 is exactly what you want to do. Um, only one other team in college football has scored over 100 points here the last two weeks, and that's Louisville, who's the number three team in the country, so, you know, Virginia Tech takes care of the football, They're they're as good as any team in the ACC, at least on offense. I think that's safe to say, and the defense is playing well also, so... Virginia Tech's definitely heading in the right direction. They're maybe a little bit more improved than I thought they were, especially coming off of how poorly they played a couple weeks ago against Tennessee.
0: Virginia Tech looking ahead, they've got a bye week this weekend, and then they go into probably the toughest four-game stretch of the season. Uh, A trip to North Carolina, a trip to Syracuse, home against Miami, and a trip to Pittsburgh. And I don't look at any of those as unwinnable at this point. Um, Honestly, the game against Miami, as of – this moment as we record kind of looks like it might be a de facto coastal championship game. Um, but ultimately, I mean, if you're, if you're a Hokies fan, you got to like the outlook right now with, with how this offense has looked the last couple of weeks and what they're doing, uh, what, what they've kind of been able to put together here. I mean, things are setting up kind of nicely for the Hokies here, Mike.
1: Yeah, I really like the direction they're heading. Um, there was also circulating a video of Justin Fuente's pregame speech which made me want to run through a wall. Um, it was unbelievable. Um, talking about the discipline that the team had to have, and you know, I, I'm not going to elaborate on any more than that because I won't be able to do it justice. It was unbelievable. Um, clearly got the team fired up before the game, and they need to play well and get off to a good start. And That Greg Stroman return, it was as electrifying as I've seen Lane Stadium in quite some time, probably since last year's opener against Ohio State when they took the first half lead they're on a touchdown pass. So when looking at, you know, when looking at uh, the way that Virginia Tech's playing here on offense, it's really encouraging um, on both sides of the football. And, um, you know, the offense is complementing the defense right now, which hasn't happened here in the last few years. So uh, it's really encouraging.
0: Good, good times to be uh, up in Blacksburg as a hokey, Mike. Um, anything else on this game before we move on?
1: Uh, no, I think we're all set. Good, because we got to talk
0: about 4-0 Wake Forest.
1: Yes, sir. Whoa, something's My going on. My pick at the week. My yeah, pick at the
0: week. That's right. Yeah, you got in the win column on those picks of the week last week.
1: Yeah, that's that's what we call a teaser right there.
0: That's right. We'll get to that in here in a little while. Uh, it's it's good times up in Winston-Salem right now. Wake Forest going to Indiana to a Big Ten program. They were uh, more than a touchdown underdog. They come away 33-28, the winners. Man, I mean... I'm gonna to have to go back and double check our uh, our preseason selections, but I'm fairly confident that neither of us picked Wake Forest to be four and and0 at this point in the year. This has been this has been pretty amazing to watch for for this team, Mike.
1: Yeah, and you know, to John Walford's credit, um, at quarterback for Wake Forest. So we're talking about you know Kendall Hinton, and you know John Walford's been the quarterback the last couple seasons, but Kendall Hinton comes in, he takes over as the starter here over the last couple of weeks, and. He leaves last week's game with an injury, and John Walford steps back steps back in, goes 16 of 29 for 172 and a touchdown. Does everything he needed to through the air, and then to add to that, has 61 yards on the ground and two touchdowns. It's like, oh, who was out there? Was it Hinton or was it um, or was it John Wolford? And a really really solid performance from Wolford. The defense forces five interceptions of Indiana, which was fantastic. Um, that, that's what you need to do if you're Wake Forest. Continue to turn, uh, continue to turn other teams over, and do what you need to do on both sides of the ball to win. And, and you see a very gritty Wake Forest team that's starting to gain confidence because of how well the defense is playing. Offensively, still a work in progress. You're not going to score 33 points every week um, with who they have on their team, just personnel wise. But if your defense can force turnovers at the clip they've been doing here over the over the first four weeks of the season, I mean Wake Forest, well on their way to being bowl eligible anyway. It's Not inconceivable now that they could win seven or eight games, Joey. We were kind of talking about that last week. But after this win against Indiana, it's becoming all the more clear that uh, Wake Forest is heading in a really solid direction here.
0: I think that they've arguably got maybe their biggest game of the season within reason coming up this weekend against NC State that we'll talk about here in a little while. But I don't think it's totally inconceivable that Wake Forest could finish fourth in the Atlantic, which is just crazy to think about given where they've been the last few years and where we thought they would be preseason Uh, really really good stuff from the guys up in uh, Winston-Salem good job Demon Deacons proud of you keep it up Uh, you're making me a lot of money in gambling so uh, we gotta get an update here Mike on the Lamar Jackson touchdown counter we're at 25 he had 7 more this weekend against Marshall in a huge 59-28 win
1: they covered they covered Um, yeah, uh, nice win for Louisville because, you know, you wanted them to bounce back like that after after how they played um, against Florida State. You wanted them to come right back and, and score as many points as they did against Florida State, and that's exactly what they did. There were no letdowns with this Louisville Cardinals team, so keep that in mind now moving forward. Um, this was an interesting game because they could have had a letdown after Florida State or at the same time they could have been caught looking ahead to Clemson, so they kind of had both elements there playing out. What our Um, friends over
0: on the solid verbal would call a let down look ahead sandwich.
1: Yes, which is exactly what they had. And Lamar Jackson just explodes. Um, The guy's unbelievable, man. Um, 417 more yards passing in this game, five touchdowns. We can throw out the speculation about him not being a passing quarterback and only being a runner. That's now long gone. Um, He went 24 of 44. 417, five touchdowns, Brandon Radcliffe spectacular again. He's been one of the unsung heroes here of the Louisville offense because Lamar Jackson is stealing all of the spotlight as, you know, as he should. I mean, he's been unbelievable, but Radcliffe has been just as good. 19 carries, 131 in a touchdown. You can't do much better than that. James Quick is having a spectacular season, as we all hoped he would, for that Louisville offense to reach their potential. It sets up for a huge game against Clemson, and Louisville took care of business. In a game on the road, which you know Marshall, weird stuff happens when you play at Marshall. I mean, we talk about the different stadiums where you have games, you have games being played, and you're like, oh wow, some weird stuff seems to happen there. Nothing, nothing really goes the t- you know the favored team's way. And looking at this game, Louisville stepped on the Marshall stepped on Marshall's throats there, especially in the second quarter, scoring 28 points, and then coming out scoring 17 more in the third to really put the, put the game away. So a really good win for Louisville.
0: Yeah, this was uh, thought to be a tough spot. Marshall was missing their starting quarterback, but I don't think that was going to make a difference here. Louisville's 59 points actually drops their scoring average on the year. This was their their low watermark thus far in points on the scoreboard. So um, that's that's something. Um, And I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Blades of Glory, Mike, the John Heater, Will Ferrell classic. But uh, at one point... In that movie, uh, Chaz Michael Michaels, played by Will Ferrell, describes their team as a freight train from hell that is uh, unstoppable. And I think that's kind of like the Louisville offense right now. That, that Louisville offense is a freight train from hell that is not going to be stopped. And they got a huge matchup this weekend that we'll talk about in a little bit. But uh, ultimately, uh, we'll, we'll just have to kind of see where they go from here. All right, we got a few more here, Mike. First of all, we got to talk about Syracuse getting a win on the road, going to Connecticut, coming away with a thirty-one twenty-four win. Uh, the Orange, Dino Babers' boys, pulling one out. They they had a good showing of offense in this game. They went up fourteen nothing in the first half. UConn looked like they were going to claw their way back into it, but Syracuse eventually able to put it away. This is a nice win for the Orange, Mike.
1: They got some offense there. I mean, they don't have the talent quite yet that Dino Babers wants, but. Eric Dungy, how about him? 407 yards, you kidding me? Uh, the kid can, can sling the ball around a little bit. And, um, you know, we were wondering offensively how Dungy would improve because, you know, we saw some potential there, but just how good would he be under this new system? And they're getting the ball out of his hands quickly, and I think that's helped him a ton. Amba Edetawo, or whatever the hell, I don't even know what the hell's his name. <laughs> I don't know. Syracuse receiver, 12 catches, 270 yards, two touchdowns. Amba Edetawo. There you go. Um, say that five times fast. Um, <laughs> Orange get the 31-24 win. The offense is as, a, is as advertised. Connecticut's offense, you know, like we saw against UVA, just not very good. Um, so it's a good win for the Orange. You know, I, I guess it's a toss-up as far as athletes are concerned, so it's good for them to, to go out and, and get that win on the road. And Dino Babers is 2-2 two two in year one, so I'm not even sure if he was quite expecting that. Um, you you know taking the helm there in, in his first year there in Syracuse so once he gets his athletes in there this Syracuse offense is going to be really fun to watch because we kind of see the potential they have now even though he doesn't have all his guys in there yet
0: the Syracuse defense still looks a little problematic giving up 425 yards to to UConn who who hasn't really been great but ultimately I mean this is a good bounce back win for a team that just got the doors blown off at home two weeks in a row by Louisville and South Florida uh, and if they found their their go-to receiver in Amba at Otawo, uh, then, man, that's a, that's a good sign for this offense to have a go-to playmaker uh, as they go down the stretch here. Still looking like it might be a rough season for the Orange. They've still got plenty of big-time games left, and it's not totally unthinkable uh, that they they finish in, like, a 3-9 and nine kind of record, even being 2-2 two and two now. But ultimately, I mean, this is a good sign from Dino Babers. Like you said, in, in year one and... In still in the first month of the season that they're able to go in and, and beat a one of the better group of five teams in UConn.
1: To their credit, they have more wins than I thought they would when I so famously said, okay, they'll beat Colgate, and then I didn't see a win on the rest of the schedule. Well, now they have two, so congratulations, Syracuse. You proved me wrong. Um, yeah, a good win there on the road, too, which is a nice stepping stone for a young team, so we'll see just how much they can improve, especially on the defensive side of the ball here as they head throughout the rest of the year. But it's going to be tough sledding because they got a pretty brutal schedule down the stretch.
0: Good on you, Syracuse. 31 24 winners over UConn. Speaking of teams that scoring a lot of points, your Virginia Cavaliers putting up 49 on Central Michigan. Don't ever do that to me. Look it's at my Virginia Cavaliers. Look at Don't the come. offensive explosion, Mike. Are you, uh, are you shaking in your boots yet? Uh, no. Virginia Tech only um, put up fifty-four <laughs> this weekend.
1: Yeah. Um Fire up chips. Uh <laughs> Central Michigan. Central Michigan. Uh defense is not who we thought they were. Um Kurt Benkert threw five touchdown passes. That's that was a surprise. Um Kurt Manning Benkert Yeah. Hardly. Um uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Taequann had more than, like, 25 yards rushing, which, good for him. Uh, he goes 10 carries, 79 yards, and a touchdown. Virginia's offense played well. Um, you know, we, we thought Central Michigan had some issues in, on their defense. They had more issues than even I thought they had. Uh, they tried to keep up scoring with Virginia. I mean, the fact that they had to try to keep up with Virginia's offense tells you all you need to know about the Central Michigan defense. Um... Yeah, good good win for Virginia. I thought Central Michigan would actually win this game, but um, hey, yeah, I was I'm wrong every once in a while. So there we go.
0: Stats that I I have no concept of how to explain is Virginia put up more than 200 yards more than what Oklahoma State put up on Central Michigan just two weeks ago. Oklahoma State came away with 338 yards. Virginia goes for 569. Um, so that's this was kind of like an offensive explosion out of nowhere I, I don't think that either of us saw this coming this is kind of odd and same thing I mean it's also almost 200 yards more than Virginia's put up in any game so far so uh, yeah kind of a weird occurrence but overall a good one for uh, uh, for this team here I, I mean I don't know if this becomes the expectation moving forward and hopefully it doesn't but uh, Bronco Mendenhall's got something working up there theoretically
1: yeah good for them in charlottesville they can all you know get together go out for ice cream after the game uh, for getting their first one of the year so look out virginia's got a victory um yeah they needed this one really bad after that zero and three start i mean they looked like just a terrible football team they they looked a little bit more together on both sides of the football this week which is really what they needed so no that, that was a Good, w- all, all kidding aside, that was a good win for the Cavaliers. They needed one desperately.
0: Well, hopefully, they can keep it going because they got to go take on the buzzsaw of a Duke offense that just took down Notre Dame this week. Uh, so, we'll see how that goes. Uh, anyways, last game we need to talk about here is uh, Boston College got back into the win column. They had a bit of a slow start in their game, but come away 42 to 10 winners over Wagner. Whoa, Boston College started out slow? That- uh, yeah, I'll, I'll double check wow. that, but yes. Yeah. I believe that they did. Um, yeah, I, I guess a good showing from Boston College. Maybe not as dominant as we're used to in this series. I think last year they had like a running clock in the second half, and it was like a 70 to nothing showdown. But hey, 42 to 10, that's convincing. I guess I'll take it. Yeah, I was going to say, usually Boston
1: College is on the wrong end of a running clock. So the <laughs> fact that there wasn't even one instituted here in this game against Wagner like there was last year. Uh, yeah, they got off to a slow start. Patrick Tolles. Uh, you know, he's definitely in the fake Heisman race. 9 of 16, 157, two touchdowns. Hell yeah. Um, Putting up gaudy Devon numbers Jones. like that. Devon Jones, 12 carries, 90 yards for BC. Um, look at the Eagles' offense go. 42 points, and they had it evenly distributed. fourteens across the board, and then they just kind of chilled out in the fourth quarter, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Boston College. Forty-two, ten. I saw zero of this game against Wagner. Um, absolutely zero of it. But um, a, a good win for BC. They pull back even at two and two.
0: I, I tell you, Mike. I looked really hard for this game on TV, and I do feel like my Saturday was a little incomplete, not having seen this Boston College Wagner game. Said no one ever. <laughs> uh yeah. What? Yeah maybe. Um, but uh yeah. Hey, I mean got to take a win where you can get one uh, with Boston sorry Dan yeah
1: sorry Dan Rubin sorry Dan Rubin
0: Um, got Buffalo this weekend and then got to hopefully try to find an ACC win somewhere on the schedule and it seems to get harder every week so time will tell but ultimately I think the the big takeaway from this weekend Mike uh, beyond kind of some some strange occurrences with like Notre Dame being nowhere near as good as we thought they'd be Florida State kind of uh, gets back into the dominating fashion. Uh, yep. North Carolina establishes itself. Clemson looks way better than they have. The big takeaway here is that the ACC went 7 0 in out of conference play. Um, I'm going to include Notre Dame in out of conference here, even though I just included them with the conference. But Duke, Virginia Tech, Wake, Louisville, Syracuse, Virginia, and Boston College all come away winners in out of conference games. Now, a lot of those against non Power 5 teams, but I mean, Wake beat Indiana. Florida State beat a really good South Florida team, Um, excuse me, make that 8-0, sorry, I missed on South, on Florida State, South Florida there, so uh, this is a a good out-of-conference weekend for the conference, Mike, and I I, I mean, I think that this conference is starting to get a little bit of respect, actually, on the national stage, believe it or not, for uh, what they're able to do top to bottom.
1: Yeah, especially after the Big Ten had kind of a rough weekend, so yeah, I mean, a couple of really good wins there. Obviously, Florida State winning that out conference game at South Florida. We were all kind of, not all of us, I guess, but you and I, at least, were expecting Florida State to bounce back nicely like they did. Uh, Virginia getting the win um, against Central Michigan. That was a toss-up game. Wake Forest going on the road to Indiana was a huge win for the conference as well. Um, just kind of continuing to establish themselves. I mean, Virginia Tech, uh, you know, they've struggled with East Carolina. East Carolina snaps their winning streak. Uh, against the ACC that they had going there. Um, going They were going for seven straight in Blacksburg on Saturday. So, you know, I think the ACC, th- this is a really strong weekend, even though the out-of-conference at- competition may not have been as solid as, you know, other weeks. But I-, I thought overall, you know, top to bottom, a lot of good wins there for some teams that maybe we weren't necessarily expecting to get victories. So, yeah, good weekend for the
0: conference, I thought. Absolutely. we got to move on here, Mike. So to, to wrap up week four here in the ACC, wow, what, what year is it? Um, we got to go to this Go ACC Moment of the Week, and this is really painful. I've got to relive this now. I, I wish you weren't going to make me do this, but I guess this is the, uh, the price of hosting a podcast, especially one of What
1: was it, Joey? What was it?
0: Uh, well, let's just say that the, the standards for the Go ACC Moment of the Week were set really high early in the week. Uh, this time as it came on Thursday night as my own Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets took on the Clemson Tigers. Let me set the scene for you here so uh, 2 minutes and 10 seconds till halftime Clemson's got the ball on the 16 yard line looking like they're about ready to score a touchdown trying to go up 21-0 and then this happens Watson threw it to the defense intercepted at the goal line and then the ball comes out and Georgia Tech pounces on it. Lance Austin with the interception. Right, let's hear from the officials. On the field as the pass was intercepted, returned into the field of play, fumbled back into the end zone, recovered by the defensive team, safety. Wow. And I thought so. And boy, was it about as painful as it sounds. <laughs> oh, man, that was brutal. That was brutal live, Joey. Now, um, in, in Georgia Tech's defense, this is not a boneheaded play. This is just an unfortunate occurrence. But
1: that, I mean, the, the interception, obviously, I don't know who Deshaun Watson was trying to throw that to. That was just, that was overthrown by about five yards. It was Mike Williams. Yeah. Um, and, and what ended up happening thereafter, I mean, to have them collide in the end, to have Austin collide in the end zone there, and lose the football. I mean, he was just trying to make a play and that whole situation there was basically ass backwards. Overthrows Mike Williams the way he did. I mean, it was nowhere near him. And then Austin to pick the, to pick the ball off obviously. And then kind of run in circles right around the goal line and run into his own player to fumble and recover for a safety. Um, That was really painful to watch live, Joey. I can't imagine as a Georgia Tech fan (laughs) the thoughts that were running through your mind at that moment with how the rest of the game was going um, up until that point. But um, a really, really tough break there for Georgia Tech that I think you and I can both agree kind of put the game out of reach for good as far as a competition standpoint. You're looking at Georgia Tech, you're like, okay, well, this is a good momentum swing oh, okay, within the same play, let's give the momentum right back. Um, a, a real killer there um, trying to make a play on the defensive side of the ball, and it just kind of went haywire for him.
0: Uh, yeah, it was, it was about as rough as, it, as you would imagine it was. Um, with, a, with the way that everything else was going, basically we got to the point going into halftime that I was telling people pretty much the best play of the game for Georgia Tech in the first half gave Clemson two points. Think about that. Like yep. how how deflating and just demoralizing that is. Not to mention it's how
1: bad get, that that's how bad it was kind of going from start to finish there.
0: Exactly, and and not to mention that it, I I could almost consider it a nine point swing because then Clemson gets the ball back, and a defense that's had no time to rest goes ten you know gives up ten plays and that gives up a touchdown. So, what could have been a fourteen nothing halftime deficit turned into a twenty three to nothing halftime deficit, and the rest was history. So. I, I don't like having to give this to my own team, but ultimately, I, I, again, I think the standards were set pretty high early in the week for the Go ACC moment of the week. Lance Austin, Georgia Tech defense, congratulations. Uh, the Go ACC moment of the week goes to you.
1: You had no choice, Joey. It's just real unfortunate it had to happen like
0: this. Th- this uh, is an equal opportunity offender podcast, so um, I, will, I will not hold back even on my own team here. Mike, there's, there's one more award that we talked a lot about giving out before the season, and we never really could figure out what we wanted to do with it. We've kind of passed up on it these first few weeks.
1: And I'm really glad that we did.
0: Yeah, because I think we've got the perfect, perfect start here. Uh, so what this is, is this is the You Tried Award. This is somebody that tried really, really hard to do something, anything, whatever, and it just kind of just didn't work. Um, but you know, we, we give them credit for their effort. And, and more importantly, Mike, we, we didn't just want to give this, this award out, but we wanted to find a namesake for it. Someone that we could name it after, you know, the, uh, the so-and-so Memorial You Tried Award. And damn it, I think that we have not only found our first person to award this to, but I think we found a namesake too here. Brian Van Gorder, congratulations. It's the Brian Van Gorder Memorial
1: You Tried Award. You tried to be a defensive coordinator at a big-time university for college football. You failed. Congratulations, Brian Van Gorder. Congratulations, Notre Dame's defense. You gave up 38 points to Duke. Rough game. Um, Notre Dame's defense continues to struggle, giving up 33.5 points per game. They're one of the worst rushing and passing defenses in all of college football. I see that continuing now that they don't have anybody to run the defense. Brian Kelly's an offensive coach. He now doesn't have a defensive coordinator, which was the right decision because the season's out of reach anyway. Brian Van Gorder, the You Tried Award. Spectacular. I'm so glad we waited this long for this, Joey.
0: You tried, Brian Van Gorder. You tried so hard, and you just ended up getting fired. So, uh, good effort, and we'll we'll always remember you for it. But, uh, yeah, good, good effort.
1: It can't get. It, it's not. It's not going to get much better than this because now we're going to just continue from here on out, um, naming everything that we see now um, as as far as good things gone wrong and basically anything you could possibly think of. Brian Van Gorder is now being associated with it to remind me of just how poorly he coached Notre Dame as a defensive coordinator. It's just spectacular.
0: To be fair, Brian Van Gorder is one of the first people that comes to mind when I think of just general shortcomings. So. Uh, ha. sorry, BVG. Anyways, we'll remember you every time we give out this award in the future, though, so congratulations. You're the inaugural winner and also the new namesake for this award.
1: And if you want to hop on the pod sometime, you know, we can uh, talk about who we'd like to have a beer with. If or six, remember, back to one
0: of, Or six,
1: back to one of our first podcasts. But because there's no only anyway. having
0: one beer with Brian Corder, You have oh, to have, no. like, six. No. And he he's, is an angry he's having
1: He's having six right now
0: after getting fired. So. He's an especially angry drunk now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Not good. Not good, Joey. Not good. All right. Well, I think that about does it for week four, Mike. we got to get into week five here and do some preview. And this is a, a pretty good slate of games, especially at the top end. Uh, so the big one, obviously, for the week is going to be hosting College Game Day. And this is the second time in three weeks that an ACC game hosts College Game Day. That's, that's good publicity. The number three Louisville Cardinals... Opened as a three-point underdog, but now as we record this on Monday night, a one-point favorite on the road at number five, Clemson, at 8 o'clock on ABC. This is probably, and I say probably, this is pretty much definitely the game that decides the Atlantic here. If Clemson can win this game, that's a huge deal, but also, I mean, not only does it put them in the driver's seat, but it keeps alive the possibility that they could lose to Florida State and we could have a three-way tie. At the top of the Atlantic, which is a little bit of a doomsday scenario.
1: I was gonna say, Joey, you're counting out my Wake Forest Steam and Deacons a little bit too quickly here as far as competing and Deacons? for the <laughs> as, as far as as far as who's competing for the Atlantic Division crown. Um, all kidding aside, I have no idea who's going to win this game, Joey, because Louisville, after what they did to Florida State, it's really hard to pick against them. Um, Clemson's at home, but their offense isn't playing great. Um Lamar Jackson's playing out of his mind, but we know how good Deshaun Watson can be, and he looks like he's perhaps starting to turn a corner, becoming the quarterback that we saw last year where he accounted for 5,000 yards by himself. Um, It's almost like you can just switch roles there, he and Lamar Jackson, the way Jackson's playing. Um, It's it's a game in which we're going to once again learn a lot about the Louisville defense. Um, We know Clemson's defense is pretty good, at least through the first four games, but You know, it's Clemson's defense in all all the holes that they filled from last year's squad. We're going to really see how good they are as well. Louisville's defense against a Clemson offense that has struggled at times, but I feel like the Tigers in big games, Dabo Sweeney always has his guys ready. So it's going to be another measuring stick game for that Louisville defense, in my opinion. They showed out well, obviously, against Florida State a couple weeks ago. They're going to have to do the same on the road at Clemson. It's not going to be easy, but, um, you know, the way Louisville's playing right now, they're really tough to pick against, Joey.
0: They sure are. I mean, this is setting up to be a huge environment in Death Valley, uh, in Clemson, South Carolina. This is – yeah, I think this game is going to tell us a lot about both teams, honestly. Um, The big questions in my mind are, is Clemson going to be able to hold down Louisville's offense somewhat? Um, Basically what we saw against Florida State, which is a very talented and – dangerous unit is Lamar Jackson just running free, and we saw their offensive line opening up holes for Brandon Radcliffe. I don't know if they're going to be able to do that against Clemson, but then again, I mean, there's not a whole lot to me that says that Clemson is just definitively way better than Florida State is. So, in a certain sense, it's like, if Louisville can do that to Florida State, why can't they do it to just about anybody? Um, Meanwhile, Louisville's defense looked pretty good, trying to contain DeAndre Francois and Dalvin Cook and all that a couple weeks back, and now... They go and they try to take on Deshaun Watson and their passing attack. And as we said, I mean, Clemson, Clemson's having a little bit of trouble on the offensive line right now. I mean, Georgia Tech has a, a kind of an average defensive line and was able to get plenty of pressure and, and clog up running lanes. I mean, Louisville's got a much better front seven than that, and so it just makes me wonder what they're going to be able to accomplish. Um, I we haven't seen Clemson put together a full game on offense against anything that really counts as, like, a a viable opponent. I mean, they put up 59 on South Carolina State, but in every other game so far, I mean, they've had various levels of deficiency for various times in the game. Whereas the whole time we've seen Louisville on the field, I mean, they've they've punted 13 times in four games. I mean, they've been scoring like nobody's business, and so I think for that reason, that's what I see Louisville continue to do in this game.
1: Yeah, and scoring touchdowns, too. I mean, it hasn't been, yeah, let's get in the red zone, settle for field goals. I mean, Lamar Jackson has 25 touchdowns by himself. That tells you about all you need to know about that last point. Um, To your point about Clemson's offense, you're right. I mean, you said they scored 59 on South Carolina State. Um, You know, so did me and my high school buddies. I mean, everybody's scoring 59 on South Carolina State, you know what I mean? So I think looking at at this game, you know, like you said, we're going to learn a lot about both teams. Clemson's offensive line has struggled, which – You know, Florida State's offensive line was struggling as well, and we saw what Louisville did to them. Uh, Making the pick on this one, Joey, I I can't believe I'm saying this because I was all in on Clemson winning the ACC, going uh, going to a college football playoff. I guess in theory that can still happen even if they lost a close game to Louisville. I mean, stuff would have to happen in front of them, but I'm going with the Cardinals. It's really difficult to pick against them right now. Their defense got the job done against a very good Florida State offense a couple weeks back. Nobody is stopping that offense right now for Louisville. They look like one of the best teams in the country. I, it's hard for me to pick against them. And Lamar Jackson's playing out of his mind. Deshaun Watson struggled. I could see this being a bounce-back game for Clemson as well, but you know, I, th- I think both teams will play well. I think it'll be a close game. Clemson being at home definitely helps, but I'm going to go with Louisville. I love Lamar Jackson right now in the way he's playing.
0: You got a score prediction on that?
1: Oh man, I mean, I think I think honestly it could be pretty high scoring. Um, both defenses have played well, but Louisville's offense, like you said, I mean they're scoring touchdowns almost every time they touch the ball. I mean it's insane, and you know Clemson's going to have to sling the ball around quite a bit to keep up, and they can definitely do that with Renfro and Mike Williams and Artavis Scott and Wayne Gallman out of the backfield. I mean they got the playmakers to do it. Uh, they got Dion Kane as well. Uh, maybe like 35-32, 35-32. I mean, I could see it being a field goal game. I I think this game could be decided by less than a touchdown. I have a really hard time seeing, um, just because of the the way I've seen Dabo Swinney coach in big games over the last few years, I have a really hard time seeing this game getting out of hand if Clemson loses just because of how Dabo Swinney's coached. It it didn't surprise me as much when Florida State, I I mean, I don't want to completely say that, I mean, it surprised me that Florida State lost the way it did, but the way it got out of hand after a couple turnovers, we saw it happen to Florida State a couple years ago against Oregon in the Rose Bowl. So we, we've seen kind of mistakes compound for Florida State and kind of have it get out of hand. We haven't seen that out of Clemson, so I anticipate this being a pretty close game between Clemson and Louisville this weekend.
0: I'm with you. I think it's a relatively high-scoring game. I'm, I'm a little tempted to say it gets up into, like, the 40s, but I think that both defenses are good enough that they'll they'll get stopped here and there. Um, both pretty up-tempo offenses, so that, you know, it's not going to be a slow game by any means. Should be a lot of fireworks. Really what I... I'd would fully expect a shootout here. I'm going to take Louisville as well. I think that they'll end up putting together just a little more. I think their defense is going to give Deshaun Watson some problems. But I do think that if Clemson wins this game, it will be because Deshaun Watson has a really good game and gets back to the form that we saw him in last year. Uh, So give me Louisville in this game. I think they win uh, 38-34. But gambling-wise, you know, being a one-point favorite, I think I'm just going to stay away from it because I could easily see either team winning this by – Really, any kind of margin here?
1: Yep, I, I agree. I mean, it'll be it'll be high scoring. I think I, I'd be surprised if it wasn't. Um, but I, I wholeheartedly agree with you there. I mean, if if Clemson wins this game, it's going to be because of Deshaun Watson the way he played, or you know, maybe conversely, the way Clemson's defense performs against Lamar Jackson and maybe slowing him down to a to a degree where. Clemson scores just enough points to win, um, but yeah, I think it'll be close. You can go either way. It's essentially a pick uh with Louisville being a one point favorite right now. But yeah, I'm going to have to go with the Cardinals as well.
0: Would you be shocked if this is a blowout?
1: I would be surprised, uh, and, and it just goes back to what I was saying about you know the Jimbo Fisher Florida State thing versus Dabo Sweeney and Clemson. I mean, Dabo Sweeney just coaches really well in big games, um, and you know he finds a way to have his guys motivated, especially in home games. Um, and you know I could see it playing out that way this weekend, but you know Bobby Petrino is—I I, mean—you got to give him credit—the way he's the way he's coach these guys. And um, defensively, they're much better than I thought. I, I know you had underrated Louisville's defense a little bit as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean if Louisville gets after Deshaun Watson, forces a couple turnovers, and Watson plays maybe like he did the first two weeks when he was kind of struggling, yeah, I guess it could turn to a blowout. It wouldn't surprise me, I guess, if it turned into a blowout. Deshaun Watson threw a bunch of picks, you know, and and you know, issues kind of compounded. But Clemson at home is really tough to blow out. I feel like with that fan base and the way that they play on both sides of the football.
0: I could see a scenario where Louisville takes this in a blowout, but I think that's I don't I don't see Clemson winning it in a blowout, which is weird, being that they're at home and in front of that. I agree with you. Um, I agree. But even then, a blowout to me is like a two-touchdown win, like a 49-35 or, you know, something where Louisville just scores a whole bunch of points and Clemson can't quite yep. reciprocate. But Yep, I agree. That'll be a big one to watch. Again, 8 o'clock on ABC after college game day is there Saturday morning. 3.30 p.m. on ESPN, the North Carolina Tar Heels, the defending coastal champs, travel to Tallahassee to take on the number 12 Florida State Seminoles. The Seminoles here 11-point favorites, Mike. That's a big spread for that's... you know teams like North Carolina that can score and that is still got some respect on the national stage given what they did last year. And Florida State though bounced back real nicely against South Florida. Do you think they keep that going here Saturday?
1: Man, this is this is a tough game to pick. I think that's a weird line. I mean, I think 11 is huge. Um, maybe people hammering Florida State because of, you know, preseason predictions. Yeah, you know, we thought Florida State was a playoff team, and all of a sudden they're not, at least at this stage of the game, and, you know, with the way they lost to Louisville. And now you're going to put them 11-point favorites against North Carolina, who offensively looks like a juggernaut Um, again. They they struggled kind of out of the gate against Georgia, but they've gotten Elijah Hood going. Mitch Trubisky really coming into his own game, more comfortable week by week. Had a coming-of-age type of performance last week, especially in the fourth quarter there against Pitt, like we talked about earlier. I can see this game, honestly, going either way. I mean, Florida State being at home helps. Having the home field advantage in Tallahassee. But North Carolina can win on the road. I mean, there's there's no question about that. And they're a team that can put up a ton of points on you. And, and Florida State, as we've seen, you know, if they make a couple of mistakes and they give the ball back to an offense, it's going to score a lot of points. I mean, it turns into a track meet. Florida State didn't do well in the last track meet they played in against Louisville, and by no means is North Carolina Louisville, but at the same time, I could see a scenario where this kind of gets high scoring and North Carolina's right there at the end with a chance to win it. I'm going to take Florida State to win, but I think 11 points is a lot to cover even at home.
0: Yeah, um, man. So one of the things that, first of all, if you gave me like over under... 200 rushing yards for Dalvin Cook in this game. Give me the over. I think Dalvin Cook could absolutely just roll this North yep. Carolina defense, which has been I agree wholly unimpressive. Um, and I think that's maybe the big difference in this game is that defensively, Florida State's at least got something. They didn't really show it against Louisville, but, I mean, they, they've showed it in other situations here, whereas North Carolina defensively is really, really suspect. Um Mitch Trubisky's played extremely well. He's been very accurate passing the ball. He's got a good stable of receivers that he's thrown to. Meanwhile, we know what DeAndre Francois is drawing Jameis Winston comparisons, and uh, he's got some mobility and and distributing the ball nicely with his receivers. Uh, I'm with you. I definitely think Florida State wins this game. I'm kind of tempted to take them to cover I think that Florida State is on a little bit of a war path right now uh, to try to avenge you know what they suffered on national television to Louisville can't blame them right yeah and I think about if I if I put North Carolina up against South Florida who I would take that would be a crazy matchup um, but ultimately uh, yeah give me Florida State to cover here give me Florida State to wow, cover nice okay okay I will lay 11 points on the Seminoles here in this game. Um, I I think that they will dominate and they might kind of pull away a little bit late. Is that pick of the week material maybe? Uh, We'll see, but probably not. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We'll see. Uh, We'll get there. Um, Yeah, Fortis 8, give me them to cover 11. I I think that they're going to be really good again this week. I think that they're they're continuing to try to avenge that loss to Louisville uh, to try to kind of reestablish themselves in the national spotlight. All right. Unless you, unless you have anything else, we'll move on. Yep, we can go. We can move on. I'm good. Cool. High noon on ESPN two. The number fourteen Miami Hurricanes of Cam Underwood variety, traveling to Atlanta to take on my freshly embarrassed Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. And I'm I'm a little afraid of this game. Obviously, they've got Mar, uh, Mark Richt coaching at Miami, which is by the way, that's where he went to school. I don't know if you knew. Alan mater, because Miami fans will never let you forget it. Alan mater, as it were. Uh, Mark Richt, Miami alumnus, who had all sorts of success against Georgia Tech at, during his time at Georgia. Uh, good coach,
1: by the way. Yeah. Apparently.
0: Yeah, he's uh, he's good. I think Miami got a little lucky to get him. Don't tell Cam Underwood I said that. but He's going to listen to this. That's right. I, I trust that he will. Uh, Cam, if you're listening, I'm trying to start a hate week over at, on, on uh, From the Rumble Seat, because... Everybody knows nobody likes Miami, except Miami fans. That's cool. You're fine with that. Don't worry about it. Uh, in this game, I'm, here's the thing that I want to see, Mike. Here's what I want to see is I want, I want Georgia Tech to win the coin toss or, or Miami to win it and defer, but I want, I want Georgia Tech to start with the ball. I want them to work the ball down and score a touchdown. I want them to get a stop on defense, and I want them to score again. I want them to take a two-touchdown lead on Miami, punch them in the mouth right out of the gate, and see how they respond. Because Miami, so far three and zero, they've looked really good. They've not faced anything that remotely resembles adversity, and I'm really curious to see what that team does when they face a, you know something like a two touchdown deficit on the road. You know how can they respond? Is is Brad Kaya mature enough to kind of stand in there and stick to the game plan, uh, or do things start to unravel a little bit as they start to panic?
1: Miami, I mean, to your point, has not really played anybody yet. Um I, you know, we kind of thought that we thought the game against App State would be a little bit tougher than it ended up being. Um, but it wasn't. Miami's been good, right? Um, they, they've looked okay. but they haven't played anybody. I mean, I want to see <clears throat> I want to see how they respond to adversity, like you just said. Um, and I think this is situation here in, in this game against Georgia Tech, you know, especially with Georgia Tech being at home, for a noon kickoff where, you know, maybe we can see Miami fight through some things early here and we'll learn a lot about just how good the Hurricanes are. And, and you know, I, I'm on board with the improvement of Miami. You know, I said that a couple of weeks ago, you know, if they beat App State and looked dominant doing it, which they did, I would be on board with it because I thought App State was a pretty decent football team. Um, but looking at Look at the Hurricanes in this game against Georgia Tech, I mean, like you said, if Georgia Tech goes down, scores early, and Miami's down and they need to fight back, and Georgia Tech gets a little bit of pressure on the quarterback like they did last week against Sean Watson, you know, we'll see what Miami's made of. Um, do I think Miami wins this game? Yeah, I do. Um, but this is going to be a test for them. I don't think it'll be easy by any stretch. Georgia Tech's offense needs to get off to a better start. I mean, that's no question. After how they struggled out of the gate against Clemson, the Miami defense is not nearly as good as Clemson's defense is. I'm not afraid of saying that, despite how Miami fans may feel um, with the Hurricanes playing against some weaker opponents here to date um, and, and thinking their defense is really good. I think Miami has a good defense, but they're not Clemson. Um, so Georgia Tech needs to get on the board early. They need to try to get some first downs. I mean, they, they struggled even getting a first down in the first half against, uh, against Clemson, and they need to really do that if they want to even have a chance in this game. I like Miami, uh, Miami to win. I'm not sure about the spread. I I don't love it. I, I think Georgia Tech can can hang in there, and if they get pressure on Kaya, we can really see how improved that offensive line really is. So I like Miami to win, but uh, not entirely confident with
0: it. Yeah. I think I'm going to learn. Neither uh, are <laughs> neither, neither you. Uh, um. Yeah, I hate having to pick this game. My, my head tells me Miami's probably going to win, but... Something tells me Georgia Tech's going to bounce back here. One of the interesting things I heard someone talking about earlier in the week about Miami's defense in particular is the defensive coordinator, Manny Diaz, hasn't coached a defense against this offense since something like 2003. I mean, it's been well over a decade for for him. So curious to see what they do. Miami defensively has not had a ton of success against Georgia Tech in in recent years. And I'm sure a lot of their fans are quickly going to look to last year's game where – Justin Thomas was knocked out, like, on the first drive, and they just held him out as precaution, and the whole thing spiraled out of control pretty quickly, but, like, the the thing that really worked when Georgia Tech beat Miami two years ago at home was they really just controlled the tempo of the game. Uh, Miami turned the ball over twice, and Georgia Tech just sat on the ball. They they held the ball for 40 minutes of that game, 2-1 to one in possession, so... I think that's a good go-to game plan for them. Keep the defense off the field. Keep the offense moving the chains. You don't really have to hit big plays if you can just keep marching down the field. I don't know if they can do it. Obviously, we saw what happened last week against Clemson, and that wasn't good. But I think if you can get something a little closer to what Vanderbilt kind of gave up a few weeks ago against Georgia Tech, yep. I think there's a chance. Um, doesn't look good that Miami's coming off a bye week here and has had two weeks to to prepare. Um, it probably helps a little bit, if anything, that they have to go play Florida State next week. Uh, so there's a little bit of a look-ahead factor there. But I don't like this game. Give me Georgia Tech to cover seven. oh. Yeah, I'll go homer pick here. Um, give me Georgia Tech straight up. I think they can pull an upset here and, and kind of yeah, okay. shock Miami. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now I'm going to regret that pick this time next week. But... Uh, <laughs> Maybe not, though. Like, maybe not. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to ride and double down on Georgia Tech in this game. I think that they can make it happen. I like it. We'll, a boy. Uh, yeah, we'll see what you say next week. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. 2.30 p.m. on the ACC Network Extra slash Watch ESPN. The Wake Forest Demon Deacons freshly 4-0 and uh, leading the Atlantic Conference. Atlantic Division, I might say. Let's go, Deeks. Yeah. The, uh... <laughs> The Steamin' Deacons, I believe I heard you call them earlier. Um, They're on fire. Uh, They're they're traveling to Raleigh. They're 10-point underdogs to the North Carolina State Wolfpack, who've looked really good on offense so far this year, Mike, putting up 521 yards, 502 yards, and 470 yards against nobody. Against William & Mary, East Carolina, and Old Dominion. So I have no idea what this – Wolfpack team is I mean they they lost at East Carolina 33-30 put up 500 yards in the process defensively have been okay um but to sit here and lay 10 points for North Carolina State just feels a little iffy given what we've seen Wake Forest do to some reasonably offensively potent teams I like Wake Forest
1: in this game because I'm riding that Wake Forest train right now for their fifth straight win um No, I I really I'm really impressed with the Wake Forest defense. Um, I, I think that's what they were able to do against Indiana. Indiana's a bad team, right? But they turned them over five times. I mean, you know, in the passing game, just five interceptions there. That's
0: a Power Five team.
1: It's a it's still a power. It's not a good Power Five team, but it's still a Power Five team. And they went on the road and got a win there. They were scoring a lot of points in that game, too, which is scary. John Walford is playing now with some scary confidence, which doesn't make any sense because he just lost his quarterback job two weeks ago as a starter, and now he comes back last week, runs for two touchdowns, throws a touchdown. He was efficient in the passing game and did everything he needed to do there, was given a short field multiple times, which really helped. But I I like this Wake Forest defense right now. NC State's scoring a lot of points, but man, oh, man, I mean – uh, Wake Forest is shutting down teams right now on the defensive side of the ball. We haven't seen, to, to your point, NC State play anybody yet. And because of that, I'm going with Wake Forest to win this game.
0: Wake Forest outright to cover double digits. Wake Forest,
1: Wake Forest, Wake Forest outright, not even to cover. I like Wake in this game. I could regret that next week, too. But I think at the very least they'll cover. But I'd, I'd be dumb not to pick against Wake Forest now. Um, I'm going to go ahead and I can't believe I just said that. But um, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to pick them to win the game outright. Yeah, I'm going with Wake Forest. Your body is ready for 5-0 Wake Forest. Man. Let's do it. Let's do it. We're one win away from bowl eligibility after this weekend. Let's see what happens.
0: Hey, give me Wake Forest to cover 10. Give me NC State to win outright. Uh, yeah, you're, that, that's a smart pick. I don't see them losing this game at Carter-Finley in Raleigh at home. Um, I, as good as Wake Forest defense has been, I think NC State's going to be able to put the points up to, to play with them and, and beat them. And so, I think, give me the Wolfpack, but I think it's maybe like a touchdown game. I think 10 points is just too much here to lay uh, on the Wolfpack. Now, let's talk about a game with uh, lower-profile teams than Wake Forest and NC State. It's possible. The Notre Dame Fighting Irish, Mike. 11-point favorites uh, against Syracuse. This is at a neutral site at MetLife Stadium in New York City. Or, excuse me, in, what, East Rutherford, New Jersey? Meadowlands, baby. The Meadowlands. Meadowlands, yeah. yeah. That whole area. High yeah. noon on ESPN. Notre Dame has got to get right here. I'm tempted to think with a new defensive coordinator, maybe they put something together to slow down Dino Baber's offense. Ah, God. And with the Syracuse defense, I'm guessing Notre Dame can put up big points, but I don't know if I want to touch that line of 11-point Notre Dame favorite against Syracuse here.
1: Syracuse is covering. I've, I've seen enough of Notre Dame. I've I've seen enough. Kaiser can throw all over the Syracuse defense. They could score 45 points. But it doesn't matter who lines up in the backfield for Syracuse. They're going to run all up and down the field on Notre Dame's defense. Um, Notre Dame wins barely um, to get to 2-3. and But I think Syracuse covers 11, Joey.
0: It'll be an interesting environment playing in an NFL stadium. You figure it should be loaded with Notre Dame fans. Uh, Notre Dame plays a lot of these... Uh, neutral site games I know they got a game later this year in San Antonio against like Army and so they played some of these bigger stadiums you know just for the sake of I think getting their, their national fan base and their national uh, brand out there but uh, yeah there's a, maybe a little bit of a home field advantage here but not a ton 11 points is a lot to lay for a team that has just laid eggs so far um, There's no,
1: there's just no confidence right now in that line in my opinion
0: yeah, give me Syracuse to cover eleven, but I think Notre Dame wins by like ten. I think it's just barely, you know, barely a cover. And honestly, I could see it being like a backdoor cover or something where Syracuse scores late in the game. But uh, that's a game that I feel like you're gonna have to like watch through, you know, your hands covering your eyes, but you're kind of like peeking through the fingers a little bit. Like Notre Dame fans, like you. <laughs> It says something when, in 2016, you're not feeling great about going into a game against Syracuse. So, uh, careful there.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's just not it's not good. That the team Notre even inspires zero confidence right now. Um, they're they're in a bad way. They got a tough schedule. This is a the game they need to win.
0: Let's move on here. We got three more to get through. Uh, last ACC matchup is the Virginia Cavaliers on the road against the. Uh, new independent conference champions, Duke Blue Devils, coming off that winning game. Duke three and a half point favorites, 12.30pm on the ACC Network Extra slash Watch ESPN. Um, man, this is a team, this is a game that, like, a week ago we would have thought was just unbearable to watch. Like, give me, like, Team Meteor so we don't have to watch this game, but, um... Now we've got a couple of highfalutin offenses that put up 49 and 38 points last week and might be cooking. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Duke at home. Give me, I guess give me Duke to cover three and a half, but that line seems about right where it should be.
1: Uh, yeah, Duke by three and a half. It'll be ugly, though. I mean, Duke is not nearly as good as we saw last week against Notre Dame. Um, Virginia is not as good as we saw last week against the fire-up chips uh, Central Michigan. Um, yeah, give me Duke at home. I, I like that line three and a half. I don't know. I, I don't even know if Duke covers three and a half, honestly. I mean, I think that's right where it should be. I agree with you. Um, but I, I like Duke at home to beat Virginia, but it's a toss up game. And, and if you're Virginia, a game you can look at and say, yeah, we can go in and win, win this game. And, um, you know, could it turn into a shootout? I mean, (laughs) I can't believe I'm saying this. It it might it might after what we saw to both teams last week, but I don't think either team is quite as good as we as as we saw last week. And and because I think it's moderately low scoring, but give me Duke at home.
0: You figure a, a, a line of three and a half to the home team means that on a neutral field they're basically equal. Three three points usually being the accepted home field advantage in in line setting, but part of me just feels like Virginia last week was like this like. You figure, like a, like, a semi-conscious hospital patient that, like, you know, is, is only kind of half there, and then all of a sudden wakes up and has this, like, moment of clarity epiphany for just a minute, and then, like, returns to their former state. Like, I feel like that that might have been Virginia last week. They just woke up, and all of a sudden they score 49 points, and then it's right back to where they were.
1: It's like, oh my god, I can't believe we did that. Let's score 12 next week.
0: I... I Stranger things have happened, Mike. Who's arguing? Stranger things. Give me Duke to cover three and a half. Uh, probably kind of an ugly game, maybe 20 to 10 or something like this. All right, Pittsburgh hosting Marshall, 7.30 p.m. on the ACC Network Extra slash watch ESPN. This game does not have a line because Marshall's still waiting to hear what's going to become of their quarterback. Uh, they obviously didn't have their starter against Louisville. Kind of up in the air as to whether they're going to have him this week. I still think that this is a game where Pittsburgh gets right. Um, their their defense should be able to contain Marshall's reasonably potent offense otherwise, but I think the Panthers are going to be a little too much to overcome here at home, Mike.
1: I like Pitt to win this game. I think they get back on track. It was a pretty rough collapse there last week. They're going to have to be careful because Marshall does sling the ball around quite a bit. Um, but, yeah, give, give me Pittsburgh to win this game. I, I think they have too much going on on both sides of the ball. I think it's a good week for Pittsburgh's defense to get right, but – it's not an easy task in the passing game by any means. Marshall does throw, throw it around quite a bit, and I think um, that, that they'll, they'll be tested, and uh, I, I think that the Panthers really need to turn this thing around. I think this is a good week to do it.
0: And if they ever want to adjust their schemes against the pass or try something different, this would be a good week to do it too against uh, a, a group of five team instead of some of the conference games they have coming up here. Last one, Mike. Boston College, seventeen and a half point favorite at home against Buffalo. This is at one o'clock on the ACC Network Extra slash Watch ESPN. Am I crazy? Am I am I crazy, or am I a total hater for kind of liking Buffalo to cover seventeen and a half in this game?
1: Buffalo's got a pretty decent team, Joey. Um, decent as far as a non Power Five school is concerned. Um, Boston College. They got off to a slow start against Wagner. They could do the same thing against Buffalo and still win the game. The issue is, I'm not sure they'll cover 17 and a half if they get off to a real slow start against Buffalo. Um, give me BC to win. I think Buffalo covers though.
0: Buffalo one and two. They actually gave Army their first loss of the year this year, this weekend. Um, and Army was
1: playing some good football heading into that
0: game. They sure were. They sure were. Um, Buffalo. I don't know how they did it. I mean, they gave up 444 yards on offense or of offense, and they only got 265 of their own. So, without going too far into the box score, that's kind of a weird game. I don't know if they can beat Boston College outright. In fact, I'm pretty confident that they can't. But 17 is not not a lot of a uh, not a, not a very big margin to keep it within when you're playing against Boston College, who has as many problems as they do on offense. So, Boston College to win, but with the hook there at 17 and a half. I think Buffalo can keep it to about 17 in this game. Uh, so Boston College to win, Buffalo to cover. Mike, we got to get to our last segment here, odds and wagers. And you got in the win column last week. Look at you. I did. Let's go wake, baby. Getting on that Wake Forest hype train. Uh, wake, of course, seven plus seven plus seven and a half at Indiana. They win that. You're now one and three on the year. That's a... Uh, that's an improvement over zero and three previously. That's right. I continued my winning ways. I had Florida State minus five at USF, and they won by twenty. So that
1: was a great that and that was a great freaking pick too. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, I, a lot of us didn't think so at the time, I, and I was progressively worried as we got into like college game day Saturday morning. I was like, "Man, this was a bad idea. This was a terrible idea. I'm going to look dumb." And then, sure enough, Florida State comes out and just blows them out of the water. So that was great. Um, I picked first last week. You picked first the week before. I think it's your turn here. Uh, the board is yours, Mike. Who you got? Who's your pick of the week here, against the line or against the total in the ACC? I
1: think Buffalo covers seventeen and a half against BC. I hope that's not the game you were picking, Joey. Um, I like Buffalo to cover They're at home. Uh, they're they're a decent football team. They just beat Army. Army is no worse than Boston or better than Boston College. Uh, give me Buffalo to cover 17 and a half. I'm not sure they'll win outright. I mean, I think BC might have too much going on on defense to, uh, to let that happen. But I like Buffalo to cover 17 and a half. I'd, i with Boston college's offense week in and week out, it's really hard to, to pick them when a line is that inflated. Um, so yeah, give me, give me Buffalo
0: to cover. That's pretty bold. I like it though. I mean, it makes sense. Um, Man, I was looking before here thinking I might want to go Wake Forest plus 10. I just, I just don't know what, what NC State is, and I'm, I'm afraid of picking that game. As was I. Yeah. The one that I think I like is one that we actually didn't discuss, uh, but I've got it pulled up here, is the total in the Miami-Georgia Tech game is 49, which feels a little low. I was gonna say I'd take the over on that, Mike. Give me over forty nine points in the Miami Georgia Tech game. Sorry if I. I like uh, it. I, I like it. I, I feel bad. I feel like I'm like sneaking around, you know, finding now. totals and stuff. But no, I'm am good. I'm good with my Buffalo pick. Yeah, I'm rolling with it. Give me give me over forty nine in the Georgia Tech Miami game. You're taking Buffalo plus seventeen on the road at Boston College. Yep. So hopefully, yep. hopefully we're both winners. Hopefully I go to five and zero. Hopefully you go to two and three and, and pull within one week of, of evening it up. Um, but we'll get back on the get back on the board for a second straight week. Absolutely. Well, this has been fun, Mike. This has gone on uh, plenty long enough, I would say. Uh, what what's your plan for this weekend? Are You, you going out of town anywhere, or are you you sit sitting around uh, home base? Uh,
1: home base. Need a need a weekend to recover here. Need a bye um, week. Yeah, with the way the actual day jobs going right now, I'm gonna I'm gonna need the uh, weekend to chill out a little bit. So yeah, we're gonna take a bye week and yeah, as is Virginia Tech and uh, and uh, watch some of the college football. I'm really excited about that Louisville Clemson game, um, as I'm sure you are. And seeing what Georgia Tech has here going against Miami, that's gonna fly under the radar nationally, I think, as as one of probably the better games of the weekend. So I'm interested to see how uh, both of those games play out.
0: We'll get you some R and R. I can already see myself watching Georgia Tech and Miami, obviously, and then North Carolina, Florida State, and then Louisville, Clemson. There's some good ACC action spread out throughout the throughout the day, so uh, should be another good weekend. And uh, we look forward to kind of recapping everything next week when we will, uh, of course, be back. But until then, you need to go out and follow us on Twitter. I'm at ftrsjoey. He's at Mike McDaniel ACC, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. You can subscribe on iTunes, on Google Play, and on SoundCloud, and you should rate and review and tell your friends and do all that stuff. That's that's good stuff. We're looking to uh, expand our reach if we can. Uh, and otherwise, send us an email—the longest email address in mankind history: uh, basketballconferencepodcasts@gmail.com. That's a ma- that's a mouthful, Mike. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there one day. Um, yeah. Hey, man, we're we're rolling. It's all good. <laughs> Mike, am I forgetting anything before we uh, before we sign off here? No, I think
1: we're good. Drops a review if you can. Um, I, I know we're, you know, doing our best here, and you know, I, I think we're do, we're doing a good enough job here. We're starting to get some more some more hits on our plays here on our playlists, and um, yeah, we're we're doing a good thing here, I think, Joe. And we got a good thing going, so hopefully that can continue here. We can get some feedback from the listeners as well. Um, We've gotten some feedback here in the past. Please continue that. If you're if you're a regular listener, there's maybe a segment you want to propose or or something you'd like to see if you want the podcast to be shorter or if you want it to be longer. I can't imagine you want it to be longer after an hour and 35 minutes, but hopefully we're giving you all the information you need as, as you go into your college football weekend uh, for the ACC. So we'll continue to do
0: the best we can to make this podcast as good as we hope for it to be. Hey, if you guys are listening out there, especially at this point, first of all, you're troopers. This is, this is impressive, and I appreciate you. Uh, second of all, send us, drop us a line. Just tell us you're listening and you enjoyed the show or you hated the show or you know, whatever you're thinking. Uh, just let us know that you're listening. We, we would love to, to hear from you. Anyways, uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again next week. We'll recap Week 5 and preview Week 6. But until then, for Mike McDaniel, I'm Joey Weaver. Go ACC!